Shalom. We are so glad you're joining us on this episode of Our Hope. We created this podcast as a resource for followers of Yeshua, where they can learn more about Israel, the Bible, and the Jewish community. Together, we discuss Messianic apologetics, dive into Scripture, and hear stories from Jewish believers in Jesus. If you've enjoyed our podcast series, please consider supporting us at ourhopepodcast.com support. You could also help us by sharing this podcast on social media, talking about it with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for you, and we hope this episode of Our Hope is both enlightening and encouraging. Welcome to Our Hope, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this podcast, you will hear inspiring testimonies, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Wherever you're listening, we hope you lean in, listen closely, and be blessed. We have all heard it before, the end times, the moment when judgment falls on the world and it all ends, or God makes everything new. As scripture tells us, the birth pangs we experience now are the signs leading toward the glorious future we will have when our King returns. As believers in Yeshua, we should pay attention to the signs, but what are they and how would knowing about them contribute to our faith? Joining us for this discussion is Dr. Mitch Glazer. Mitch has served as president of Chosen People Ministries for 26 years and counting. He holds a Master of Divinity degree in Old Testament from Talbot School of Theology and a PhD in Intercultural Studies from Fuller Theological Seminary. Mitch, welcome back to Our Hope. Thanks, Nicole, it's great to be here. Shalom, shalom. Shalom, it is, is great to have This is quite a, quite a topic, Nicole. Heavy topic. Did you save this one for me? We did. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was having an easy day. Sorry to you ruin want, your day. <laughs> you, you don't want to predict me to predict the future, do you? Hey, I mean, you might know something I don't know. Oh, uh, we'll have <laughs> to see what the predictor said in his book and see see what we, what sense we can make of it all. Yes. Well, before we jump in, this is very relevant to the discussion. So I wanted to first touch on what's going on in Israel right now. Um, are there any ministry updates you can give us? Sure. Nicole, I just got back from Israel. And I was there for a week and uh, spending a lot of time with our staff and just sensing uh, what was happening, had my finger on the pulse of what it's like living under the stress of hundreds of missiles flying in from uh, Gaza, some from uh, Lebanon because of Hezbollah. And um, it's a very tense situation. Uh, We don't think that this war is going to end anytime soon. Could be few months could be some people said it's a year a lot of it depends on whether or not uh, the hezbollah jumps in uh, in the north and uh, there are they're probably a more serious army of terrorists than the terrorists in gaza really yeah and so hamas is not child's play obviously because of the harm that they they wreaked but hamas is is not as a ser- it's not as much a serious national threat to Israel as is Hezbollah. 
They're both backed by Iran. And of course, the Houthis in Yemen are firing rockets on U.S. warships yeah. and taking, uh, you know, acting like modern day pirates and taking some uh, cargo ships uh, captive. And uh, mm. so I Iran is trying to destabilize the area. And uh, Israel knows that, and we all know that. And so when we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we have to pray that, uh, that God puts a, a stop to uh, the nefarious deeds of, of Iran. And, and again, it's, it, it's, it's not even Iran. It's not really Iranians, and it's not really Palestinians. It's not really people from Gaza, and it's not really um, Hezbollah, people from uh, southern Lebanon. It's really the system. Mm. Uh, the system is a horrible system. It's a eschatological, which is our topic, yeah. uh, end times, uh, mystical, violent, uh, inhuman brand of Islam that uh, lots of people in the Middle East who are also Muslims hate and yes. dislike. And I believe that Iran is the epicenter of this kind of uh, Islam and that they are uh, using some of these other proxy nations mm -hmm. as tools to accomplish um, what can, for me, can only amount to trying to increase their power, territory, and money. And, uh, and so I don't see it as some kind of religious, <laughs> I really don't, some kind of religious expansion. No. Uh, no, no, this, this is good old-fashioned human greed and all the things that are wrong with humanity, and we see it very clearly. Our staff is doing uh, as well as can be expected. We have almost 30 staff members. They are focusing on children. Uh, we are actually uh, having full-blown children's programs at some of the hotels mm. where the Israelis who are evacuated are staying. We're also serving meals, hot meals, providing food stuff uh, for almost a half a million evacuees who just don't have anything. They left their homes. And especially for some of the elderly Holocaust survivors, we're sending packages out. Our center in Tel Aviv right now has turned into a yeah. uh, basically a distribution center. And uh, we're still having some Bible studies and all that kind of thing. But right now, what we're really trying to do is meet the everyday human needs of suffering Israelis and trying to bring them comfort through the Messiah, through prayer, Bible reading, and really just good old-fashioned hand-holding. And they're very, very receptive to it. And uh, But it's wearing our staff out. I mean, yeah. you know, this has been going on for a long time now. And the staff have their own families and they have their own lives. And uh, But I, I just can't thank God enough for their dedication and all that they are doing. And uh, I hope that if uh, those who are listening will pray for our staff, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, uh, pray for us, support us. And uh, if you know staff members of chosen people in Israel, write them a nice note. Yes. Tell them you love them. Give them a give them a, a, a email hug or something like that, because they really need to know that uh, God loves them and appreciates everything they're doing. Thank you, Mitch. And uh, we appreciate everything that our staff in Israel is doing right now. And I know we've gotten a lot of questions uh, in our email inboxes from people who are watching what's going on in the Middle East. And they're asking us, is this the end times? Is right. this the signs of the end times? 
And so can you briefly explain what the phrase end times means? It's become very heavy over the years, and it's meant a lot of different things to a lot of people. Well, Peter got up in Acts 2 and announced that they were in the end times. Yes. That this is what Joel was speaking about. And so I believe the end times actually began with the ministry of the apostles Mm -hmm. and with the resurrection and ascension of Jesus particularly. And so... The end, we've been in the end times for a couple thousand years. Yes. The only question is, what part of the end times? Are we in the end of the end times, the middle of the end times, <laughs> the beginning of the end times? I think that books like uh, Revelation and Daniel give a lot more specifics yes. about the end of the end times. And so I do believe that we're in the end, we're in the end times, but I believe that we're not quite at the end of the end times uh, because that will be more that would be characterized by greater judgments uh, upon the earth. I'm one of those who believes that the church will be lifted out uh, before uh, mm-hmm. the uh, all of these judgments, the, at least the latter part of the judgments, begin falling upon humanity. Uh, the temple hasn't rebuilt, been rebuilt. The Antichrist has not been revealed. So, I mean, there are a lot of these signs that indicate to us that we're not quite in the end of the end times, However, I believe believers will be lifted out before the end of the end times. And if you don't believe that, listen, we love you anyway. Yes. And just put out your hand. If I see you, I'll grab you on my way up, you know, <laughs> and uh, I don't hold it against you. And mm-hmm. but, but this is my personal belief. This is maybe the way I was raised in the faith and my approach to the Bible. I understand godly people have different views, and that's fine. But this is my perspective. And so I think that's what the Bible teaches. And so I don't think we're quite there yet, but I do believe that we're getting closer and closer. Yeah. Uh, just a little personal story. I, mm. When we, we hit the year 2000, some people are old enough to remember Y2K. Oh, yes. I remember Y2K. I was going to ask you about that. I was just gonna, <laughs> you remember Y2K? I remember people were panic buying at the store, getting water and... Tuna fish. A lot of tuna fish. Yeah. You know, and dinty more stew. You know, mm-hmm. anything that was in a can that could be preserved. And so people really did think that the end was about to come. And <clears throat> so I was actually part of a conference and they asked me to write a paper on what life was like in the year 1000. And were you insulted? No, no, no. <laughs> I, I was challenged. I was yeah. challenged after I got over my being insulted. But no, I was very, I was challenged. <laughs> And so it was so similar to what was happening in the year 2000. Yes. And um, a, a lot of the same uh, uh, fear and, and everything else that was, that was going on. Christians were selling everything and mm-hmm. running away to monasteries and putting on white robes and get, raising their hands and getting ready, you know? Yeah. And, of course, uh, people get cynical because of this. Mm-hmm. So people got cynical after 1,000. People got cynical after 2,000 because it didn't. the end didn't come. Yeah. There was this uh, one Christian guy who wrote, I think it was uh, 20 reasons why Jesus will come back in 2020 or 2022. I can't even remember, thank yeah. God. But everybody thought the end was upon us. Yeah. Um, well, Jesus did tell us to pay attention to the signs. Mm-hmm. And he does want us to think about the end times. He wants us to be prepared. He wants us to be ready. 
He wants us to continue the task of world discipleship and evangelism, which is what we should be doing until he comes. So the question on the table right now, I think, Nicole, is scripturally, without much fanfare and without being over, overly dramatic, uh, and what are the signs of the end? For example, we went yeah. through the pandemic. Was the pandemic a sign of the end? Are diseases of that yeah, pestilence pestilence of that magnitude mm-hmm. is that is that an end times sign? Uh, the wars and rumors of wars that we're experiencing now yes. are those signs of the end? Uh, and so uh, I have my own position on it, which if if I can, I'll, I'll share in a moment. Yes. But but I I think there are a few. Th- Aspects of scripture, along with Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse, Mm -hmm. I think that there are some signs in general that we can look at that will help us know if we're getting closer or not. And I'd like to share those if I have time. Yes, please tell us. What are these signs that we need to look out for? I'm only going to give you two. Okay. (laughs) For now. But they're two good ones. Yeah. Okay. Um, The first is found in... The book of Ezekiel. Everything good is in Ezekiel, right? So Ezekiel chapter 36, I'm looking at verse 22. So if you have your Bible, follow along with me because, you know, Ezekiel's not the most uh, obvious um, of the prophets. And uh, sometimes you have to really think about it. But I I feel that these passages are just so clear. I don't know how, how they can be missed. And uh, the, the whole chapter is, is great. Uh, maybe I'll start with verse 19. I scattered them among the nations. They were dispersed throughout the lands. According to their ways and their deeds, I judged them. When they came to the nations where they went, they profaned my holy name. That's my people, the Jewish people, profaned the name of God mm-hmm. after they were scattered on the basis of their unbelief. They were scattered from the land of Israel on the basis of their unbelief. Yes. And instead of repenting, they continued in that behavior, which was, in some sense, an embarrassment to God. Mm. I mean, we have to deal realistically with that. That's what the Bible's teaching. And so it was said of them, these are the people of the Lord, yet they've come out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations where they went. And so God was concerned about his reputation because of the unbelief and behavior of, of Israel. And again, hard for me to say, these are my relatives, my mm-hmm. ancestors. And if I lived when they lived, it would have been me. And, uh, and I dare say, if God chose the Italians or the Irish or the Scandinavians, it would have been them too. Oh, yes. Because man, men and women are fallen. So here's what happens. Mm. Verse 22. Ezekiel 36, 22, very profound. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for my holy name, which you profaned among the nations where you went. You can tell God was a little upset Mm. about this. And so the Lord is about to tell Ezekiel what he's going to do. That will, in a sense, be a a sign. It will astonish people. It will surprise people uh, into... Uh, understanding that God is real and God is true. And even though the Jewish people were acting in a disappointing way, God's going to do something with the Jewish people that will make the people of the world rethink who God is and what God can do. Mm. Verse 23, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, 
which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst, then, here's what I mean, the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. So what in the world is God going to do that's going to stun the nations and make them revisit their understanding of God? Because if the children of Israel were were the example of the way that God can uh, create good behavior uh, within a nation, then that was pretty disappointing. Mm-hmm. Again, I take it personally, and I don't even like talking about it, but it's true. Verse 24. Yeah. Here's what God's going to do. For I will, I will, God will, mm-hmm. not man will. Yes. This is God. For I will take you from among the nations, the Hebrew word goyim, which means Gentiles, I will take you from the Gentiles, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now there's a sign that God is at work. And this is one of the signs of the end. Yeah. That the Jewish people will come back to their own land. Now, did that happen in 1948? Well, actually, it did. Yeah. It did happen. Uh, that would have been the one time, I, boy, I wish I was alive as a believer at that point <laughs> during that. I wasn't even quite born yet. But uh, so the return of the Jewish people to the land is a sign from God. Now, not only that, if you notice in this text, and you should look at it carefully, in the text, there's no indication that Israel repents and is then brought back to the land. No. Actually, they come back to the land in unbelief. So really? when people tell me, Mitch, this can't be true, that can't be a sign of the end, Israel really can't belong to the Jewish people because Israel doesn't deserve the land. They're not walking in holiness. They're not even being good Jews, never mind believers in Jesus. And so this can't be true. The yeah. current land of Israel, nation of Israel, can't be the fulfillment of this promise in any way Mm. because Israel doesn't deserve the land. And I would say exactly right. Yeah. Israel doesn't deserve the land. Israel Mm. didn't deserve the land. And Israel will never deserve the land. God is a gracious God. Thankfully, that grace never changes. You know, grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. You know, I like Mm G-R-A-C-E. But it's unmerited favor. Yeah. And so the Jewish people receive God's unmerited favor but when, against all odds, after 2,000 years, he gathers the Jewish people from all over the globe, brings them back to the land of Israel. Sometimes when somebody says, Mitch, that can't be possible today, this, this can't be the fulfillment of prophecy, well, I said, well, if it's not it, you know, it's got to be certainly like it, but I think it's it. And yeah. by the way, how many, how many Israeli LL jumbo jets do you think it would take to get 7.4 million people out of the land of Israel? (laughs) You know, this would be quite the process. Yeah. So to scatter the Jewish people now, can you imagine? Mm. I mean, not, not something that can happen. Yeah. So I believe that the first sign is the gathering of the Jewish people back to the land of Israel. First sign of what? First sign of his coming. Look at verse 25. Mm-hmm. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh 
and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you, cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. So I have Mm -hmm. one question. If somebody, Nicole, came up to you and said, I woke up this morning and the last thing I wanted to do was sin. All I wanted to do was read my Bible, pray, worship God, and go ahead and, and serve people. And this is completely different than how I went to bed. <laughs> so something happened in the middle of the night, and yeah. I don't know what it is. Uh, what would you say happened? I would say that they had an encounter with God. That's right. Yeah. They got saved. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, how, how could you possibly get a better description of, mm-hmm. of what, that, what it means to be saved? I mean, your sins are forgiven. You have new power to live a new life. Yeah. I mean, this is it. So what we're seeing here in verse 26 and following is the national salvation of Israel in the end days. So part one of the redemption of Israel is being restored to the land in unbelief. Part two is the national regeneration or salvation of Israel. One Jew at a time, Mm -hmm. but it's the national salvation of Israel. Then what happens? Isn't this a dramatic story? It is. (laughs) Verse 28. You will live in the land that I will give you, that I gave to your forefathers, so you will be my people and I will be your God. Moreover, I will save you from all your uncleanness and gather, I will call for the grain and multiply it. I will not bring a famine on you. Mm -hmm. Whoa! This is an actual reversal of the curse in Deuteronomy 28 and Leviticus chapter 26, Mm -hmm. where all of these were expressed in the negative. If you disobey me, then you will have famine. You will not harvest. Mm. You will be thrown out of the land. Israel's brought back into the land. God fills them with his spirit, saves them. And not only does he save the people, but he now restores the land. He redeems the land. And and it's the opposite of the curse that fell upon uh, the Israelites for the disobedience. I'll multiply the fruit of the of the tree and the produce of the field so that you will not receive again the disgrace of famine among the nations. You can find that term in Deuteronomy 28 and Leviticus 26. This is the reversal of the curse. And God took the initiative to bring Jewish people back to the land. God took the initiative to save his people and God takes the initiative to redeem them from the curse. And then uh, he goes on. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. You'll loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. So Israel does repent. Yes. And verse 32, and I'm not doing this for your sake, declares the Lord God. Let it be known uh, to you. Be ashamed and confounded by your ways, O house of Israel. Now, let me just close it with a few more verses because there's, we're coming to one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Thus says the Lord God in verse 33, on that day, I will cleanse you from all your iniquities. I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places will be rebuilt. I mean, I mean, this is physical redemption as the fruit of spiritual redemption. This is Romans eight. The curse is lifted. Mm. The desolate land will be cultivated instead of being a desolation in the sight of everyone who passes by. That was all, this is the reverse of judgment language. They will say, here's my favorite, this desolate land has become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste, desolate, and ruined cities are fortified and inhabited. So in other words, the day is coming 
when the curse will be lifted from the Jewish people, the eyes of the Jewish people will be opened. They will see that Jesus is the Messiah. They will repent. God will save them. But God will not only save them, God will restore the land. So he brings them into the land in unbelief, saves them, and then restores them, and then restores the land. What a wonderful picture. It is. And this is what the Apostle Paul is referring to when he says that all Israel will be saved. Absolutely. So I, I like to think of uh, Romans eleven twenty five and following as Paul's commentary on this passage. <laughs> hmm. Now, how will it actually happen? Now, I, I'd love to get into the dry bones with everybody and, and the war of Gog and Magog, but um, I, that's a little complicated. I, I'd rather leave that for a different time. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to just go back one step just for one moment uh, and go to Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. Zechariah, the prophet's name, means God remembers. And in this instance, God remembers his covenant with the Jewish people. And if I begin in verse um, uh, 9, I think, well, maybe verse 8. In that day... Zechariah 12, 8. In that day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And the one who's feeble among them that day will be like David. The house of David will be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. And in that day, I will set about to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Wow. You make an enemy of Israel, you make an enemy of God. I think Hamas should take that seriously. Yeah. I think all of the Iranian proxies in Iran itself should take that very seriously. You need to be careful about who you're offending because the Jewish people are still the apple of God's eye, which, and the apple is the cornea. Mm -hmm. That's the, the image of it. So in that day, I'll set to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Okay, so a couple things. Number one, uh, for us to be in the end of the end times, Israel needs to be back in the land in unbelief. Any chance of that, Nicole? Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. So we've got that. <laughs> okay, for Israel, for us to be in the end of the end times, we need to have um, revival. We, 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 well, that needs to come um, as well. But in the end of the end times, we also need to have Israel surrounded by enemies. Any chance of that? Definitely. Yeah, we're seeing that. Okay, so we've got that even those who are in the country but not in the country, right? Mm -hmm. And then one other little thing which which most people don't really see, and that is... Israel not only needs to have the land of Israel, they need the city of Jerusalem. Mm. Now, that didn't happen until 1967. Yes. So between 1948 and 1966, this prophecy could not actually have happened. Now, there are those who are going to say, ah, oh, Mitch, you're being so literal. Thank you for the compliment. <laughs> okay? I think it's God's word. And uh, listen, if anybody knows that we take every word and every letter and every every vow seriously, it's Jewish people. Yeah, that's that's the way I was raised, actually, as as a modern Orthodox Jewish kid. I didn't always believe everything, but I knew that I knew what I was rejecting. That's for <laughs> sure. So what happens now? God takes the initiative again. Verse ten: I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. So instead of just merely destroying the enemies of Israel, God pours out His Spirit that Israel doesn't deserve, the spirit of grace, unmerited favor, and of supplication. Supplication is a Hebrew word that's built on the word grace, and it actually means yearning for grace. So grace and yearning for grace. 
grace leads to grace. When you experience grace, you get more grace. When you give grace to other people, they want more grace. Yeah. Grace is one of the most powerful evangelistic tools uh, God ever made. Mm. And so the spirit of grace and of supplication, so they will look on me whom they have pierced. Well, come on, who's that? That's you know, Jesus. It's Jesus, for sure. <laughs> so they will look on me whom they have pierced. Now, did the Jewish people that day put Jesus to death? Well, actually, they couldn't have put Jesus to death because the Romans had to put Jesus to death. Yes. So blaming the death of Jesus on Jewish people, you may as well blame it on all Italians. Okay. Hey. It, 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 <laughs> sorry. I know. I'm Italian here. Yeah, <laughs> yes, you are, you know. So we won't cast blame because we know that Jesus gave up his life. Yeah. He was God in the flesh, and there's no way anybody could have taken his life from him. Yes. He gave up his life willingly, as predicted in Isaiah 53. He suffered for our sins. So the look on me whom they have pierced, mourn as one mourns for an only son, weep bitterly over him. So there's great repentance. So Israel at that moment, and this is this spiritual regeneration that we just read about in Ezekiel 36. This is how it happens. Mm. The Jewish people at the end of their rope, they're about to be destroyed. And instead of God allowing his people to be destroyed, because he still has a lot of promises to fulfill, and God always keeps his promises. Instead of allowing them to be destroyed, God sends his spirit, turns the heart of the Jewish people to Jesus. The Jewish people respond, accept Jesus, and they turn to him, and they repent of their sins. And in chapter 13, verse 1, we read, mm. that day a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for impurity. So, uh, of course, that's a metaphor, but it speaks of being cleansed from sin. Mm. In chapter 14, we read in verse 3, then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. And that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, yeah, which is in the front of Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives will be split in two. And so the Lord will return. Where will he return? Everybody knows where he'll He's going to return to the Mount of Olives. Where he descend, where he ascended from. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. He's going to come back the way he left. Pick up where he left off. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, uh, the Gentiles get to uh, celebrate the Feast of Tabernacle. But one of my favorite verses, which is part of the daily Jewish liturgy, and uh, one of my favorite uh, verses to sing uh, in Hebrew, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one and his name, the only one. Mm -hmm. He will be everything. And his son, this greater son of David, his son Yeshua will reign on his throne in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, and the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the, of the Lord as the waters fill the sea. And there will be peace. And that will be what we call the millennial kingdom. Mm -hmm. It will last for a thousand years. Now, some of you might say, oh, Mitch, you're being a literalist again. Okay, maybe I'm off a year, you know, I mean, you know, shoot me. <laughs> okay, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just a simple guy, you know, it says a, a millennium, so a millennial, so it's a millennium, it's a thousand years. Um, but the important thing is that he reigns mm -hmm. on a physical kingdom, the Davidic kingdom. Why? Because it was promised. Yeah. Second Samuel chapter seven, First Chronicles chapter nine. It's very specific. In Do in Isaiah chapter nine, verses six and seven, mm -hmm. he will be called a wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and on the throne of his father David, he will reign forevermore. Yes. And so this 
reigning forevermore on the throne of David is not something that's some kind of theological formula. This is in the Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, you should always take the Bible literally unless you have a reason not to take it literally. Yeah. And so I, I would take it literally, and that would be uh, my position. So where are we? Well, I would say the table is set. Yes. I would say that we are, you know, everybody always says we're closer to the second coming of the Lord than we were yesterday. True. It's true. But I do think that we're in a whole new era now with the Jewish people, for the, the majority of Jewish people living in the land of Israel and living in unbelief, as God said they would live in unbelief. So I believe that the return of the Jewish people to Israel is sign number one. It is literally the beginning of the end. We'll be right back. Shalom, friends. This is Mitch Glazer, president of Chosen People Ministries. There is a growing movement of the Holy Spirit among second-generation young adults, and we have a great ministry to these folks. There are hundreds of them. There's a beautiful commercial center, two and a half times the size of what we have now that'll seat over 150 people. We have space for children's work. We have space for a cafe. And so pray over the center. We'd love to have you come on a chosen people trip. But I know that you'll want to be involved in one way or another to help the gospel go out in power to Israel. To learn more about this new exciting project, visit chosenpeople.com slash Tel Aviv Center. That's chosenpeople.com slash Tel Aviv Center. Partner with us to bring the love of Yeshua to Israel today. Thank you, Mitch. Would you say that the increase in anti-Semitism around the world, obviously God does not condone anti-Semitism, but do you think he's using it to bring more Jewish people back to the land to hasten the day? Um, I don't know, Nicole, um, because anti-Semitism has always been there. And uh, I think God is always, I, I, I don't, I don't want to say that God is using anti-Semitism. I don't want God in any way associated with anti-Semitism. Mm. I would say that um, anti-Semitism is probably motivating some Jewish people to go back to the land. Um, but I'm not so sure that... Uh, that that's the thing. What I would say about anti-Semitism is that God hates it. Yes. And there was a very wise Southern Baptist preacher who said to me, Mitch, we got to love what God loves and we got to hate what God hates. Mm. God hates anti-Semitism because it's a, a direct onslaught against his chosen people that he's chosen for a holy purpose. And we read in it in, uh, in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, I mean, particularly in verse 3, I mean, it's right there in the beginning of the Bible. Yeah. I'll bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and through you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You want to know a little secret about that verse? Tell me. Okay, here we go. Mm-hmm. All right. The rest of you are listening, I hope. There are two different words for curse used in the Hebrew in that, ver- in that verse. Interesting. Okay, so where he says, I'll bless those who bless thee and curse those who curse thee, the uh, curse those, that first one, 
is the word for curse that's used in Deuteronomy 28 and Leviticus 26, which speaks of the curses for disobedience that will fall upon the Jewish people. So the curses for disobedience will fall upon those Gentiles that curse the Jewish people. Mm. How's that for a switcheroo? So they're going to get the pestilence and they're going to get the that's famine. Exactly, and, that's, yeah. That sets up the whole stage for the Great Tribulation period, doesn't oh, it? Oh, wow. Yeah. So, but it, it's even deeper because the second word, uh, I will curse those who curse thee. The second curse is actually a different word. It means to make light of, Ooh, literally. Interesting. So I will bring the mosaic judgments for disobedience upon the Gentiles who do not bless the Jewish people. Mm. And the reason will be because they made light of the role of the Jewish people in God's plan and purposes. Even some of my dearest friends take different theological views on that. They're not going to like this. Mm -hmm. But my dear brothers and, and sisters, uh, this is in the Bible, and it's what it says. And so I think even if you want to have a different interpretation of it, it's not going to get too far from what I've just said, okay? If you make light of the Jewish people or treat them lightly without due respect, if you say that the Jewish people um, are not God's chosen people or if there's no future for the Jewish people, think again. Yeah. Think again. You might be making light of the Jewish people and it's judgment worthy. And so I think that stands as a stark warning to people that they need to be, a, be careful. Now, does that mean that we agree with everything that the IDF does? We do agree with everything that no. Netanyahu does? Or we, yeah. I mean, come on. That is a straw man. There's no Jew who believes that. Yeah. Nobody believes that. Even Netanyahu doesn't believe that. <laughs> okay? So nobody believes that. Um, governments, human governments are all tainted by sin. Come on. Yes. Uh, we all know that. So is the is is the, is God ordaining every decision of <laughs> of the Israeli government? Yeah, and and the U.S. government and the French government and everybody else. Yeah. Just because the Jewish people came back to the land in fulfillment of prophecy, they came back in unbelief. That means that some of the decisions of the Jewish people obviously are not going to be good decisions mm -hmm. of of the Jewish leadership. We all know that, yeah. but that's different than saying that the Jewish people have fallen out of God's plan because allegedly the Jewish people rejected Jesus. I think that we need to think twice about that because it seems to me very clear that God did not reject the Jewish people. If I might read one little verse mm. to just sort of put an exclamation point next to that. It's in Romans chapter 11. In 11.25, of course, we read, for I don't want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel. If it wasn't partial, I wouldn't be talking to you until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. That hasn't happened yet either. And so all Israel will be saved. So that day is coming. We're marching towards that. I believe the second sign of his soon appearance is the increasing number of Jews who believe in Jesus. Yeah. I believe that this is somewhat incremental verse 25. Mm -hmm. There will be a powerful movement at the very end, but I do believe that it, it is somewhat uh, incremental. If I know that there's going to be 144,000, and I understand, but remember, they're going to be martyrs, mm. and uh, before you want to be part of that group, just think twice. But, oh, yeah. but 
there will be that majority who come in. But verse 28 is where I want to just uh, mention, where I want to mention. Mm. From the standpoint of the gospel, they're enemies for your sake. Okay, sometimes the Jewish people oppose the gospel. Uh, a lot of it is mm -hmm. because of their understanding of how Christians have persecuted Jews. Yes. But let's just say that that's the case. But from the standpoint of God's choice, that's the Greek word eklego, which means to choose, election. Mm. The Jews, Jewish people are still elect of God. They were chosen by God, just yes. like believers are. And so from the standpoint of God's choice, election, they are beloved, here it is, for the sake of the fathers. Abraham. That yeah. refers to the Abrahamic covenant, doesn't it? Yes. So God, all the way through, from Genesis 12, all the way through to the end, is going to be faithful to his covenants and promises. Mm. And then Paul nails it in verse 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable mm. because we have an immutable, unchanging God who never breaks a promise, never yeah. makes a promise he can't keep, mm -hmm. and never forgets yeah. to uh, keep his word. And so he always keeps his word. Mm. And, and so... I believe that this is the story in a nutshell. So, Nicole, two major signs. One, the return of the Jewish people to Israel in unbelief. Number two, the growing numbers of Messianic Jews. And we have seen an incredible movement of Messianic Jews. Oh, yes. Really, since the end of World War I, almost destroyed by the Holocaust, but post-Holocaust, we've seen increases every year, every year. We did a survey. Uh, and uh, we only asked the question uh, of evangelicals, and we were sure they were evangelicals, born-again believers, because we asked precise questions, not are you evangelical. We asked questions about it. Yeah. And according to the survey that we did in 2017, 2% of the over 2,000 respondents to the survey uh, said that they had either a Jewish mother or father or grandparent. Yes. The, that 2% number of course, is, seems very small. But when applied to the number of evangelicals, that would mean that there's over 800,000 Jewish people who have some a belief in Jesus, are evangelicals. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that they keep the Torah. It doesn't mean they keep the Sabbath. It doesn't no. mean they celebrate Passover. Mm -hmm. We didn't ask those questions. No. It is an ethnicity question. Yeah. Okay? And so we know that this is true. So is there a growing movement of Jewish people to Jesus? Uh, I would say yes. We used to say there were less than 1% mm -hmm. Jewish people who believe in Jesus. But if this number is true and the Jewish community accepts this definition, then that would mean that the percentage of Jews who believe in Jesus is well over 13%. Wow. Which is a much bigger number than less than a half percent. Oh, yes. Yeah. But I I believe that we see this this coming and there will be a great movement. But it's I think we're seeing it happen now. That to me is one of the is the second great sign. That's amazing. Mitch, uh, as you were speaking, we read a lot of scripture from the Old Testament. I'm curious, what does Judaism teach about the end times? Judaism teaches a lot about the end times. Uh, Judaism certainly teaches about the coming of a personal Messiah. 
Uh, the Jewish term for end times is Yoma Mashiach, mm -hmm. the days of Messiah. And actually, the Talmud, the commentary sort of on, on the, on the uh, Hebrew Bible, and there are a lot of commentaries on the commentaries. Mm -hmm. So there's a, a sea of material, really, on, on the end times. And so there is a time of trouble, Jacob's trouble, Jeremiah chapter 30. Uh, there is a time of Jacob's trouble. There is a time when the nations will attack Israel. Um, the Messiah is seen more as a political uh, than a more of a political than a spiritual hero. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Messiah will come and destroy the nations who are against Israel and establish the David's kingdom. And um, and there will be a, you know a big invitation for Gentiles to come celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles and and pro and more. So. Um, there is a lot to say mm -hmm. about Jewish eschatology. And uh, I can highly recommend Silent Solomon Schechter's book on some aspects of rabbinic theology. It's a little bit of an older book, but it's very understandable and it's really helpful. And you can read a whole section on eschatology. You can also look online at the Jewish Encyclopedia. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is free. And look, just look up Jewish End Times or Jewish Eschatology or the Coming of the Messiah. And you will see. And also the Encyclopedia Judaica, which is also online and also free. And so you can look at those sources. So those are very, very helpful and you can learn a lot. Awesome. Well, thank you for letting us know about that, Mitch. And I know that um, you've given us a really good big picture view of end times because a lot of people tend to focus more on the the judgments and the wrath of God and uh, just the sun and the moon getting dark and stars falling from the sky. So I want to touch briefly on the Olivet Discourse. Absolutely. So what's interesting is the Olivet Discourse comes right after Matthew 23, verses 37 to 39. And I'll show you how this fits in with everything. Mm -hmm. You can't deal with the Olivet Discourse without reading this. Okay, so Jesus, one of his last encounters with the Jewish leaders, um, he's pretty uh, upset because they've continually rejected him. This is Matthew 23, so we're getting near the end of his, of his ministry on earth. And he says to them, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets, stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under, the wing, under her wings and you are unwilling. Again, shows the heart and uh, uh, of, the, of the Jewish Messiah for the Jewish people, even in the face of rejection. I would have just zapped them all, Nicole, you know? But, but, but Jesus is so filled with love and compassion. In verse 38, he says, Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. The only real judgment upon the generation of Jewish people that rejected Jesus as Messiah was the destruction of the temple yeah. in 70 AD, because the Hebrew word house is bayit, oikos in the Greek, and that word house uh, in the Hebrew particularly and in the Aramaic was usually a reference for the temple. Mm. And so G every, these Jewish leaders knew exactly what he was saying, yeah. is that the temple will be destroyed, which of course was a fulfilled prophecy. And then he says, behold, your house is being left to you desolate. Then he says, for I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, I sometimes think that was a worse judgment, that he removed himself. Yeah. Whenever he removes himself, I think that's far worse than anything else. But I, you will not see me, which of course means he, they will see him. Yeah. 
Again. <laughs> and yeah, it'll come a little differently too. You won't see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, or Baruch Hashem, Baruch Habab Hashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And uh, again, the th the themes of the end times are just, you know, they over and over and over again, that the day is coming when Israel will say, you are the Messiah. You are the true bridegroom of Israel. I've said this verse, you know, over and over at Messianic Jewish weddings when the uh, bridegroom takes the bride's hand and ushers his bride under the canopy of God's love, the chuppah, and mm -hmm. then we pronounce, you know, we, we go through the wedding ceremony and pronounce them man and wife. So when Israel recognizes Jesus as the true bridegroom of Israel, well, then Jesus will return. So that's established. Yes. Now we come to chapter 24. Mm -hmm. Remember, there were no chapters and verses in the original text. That's right. So Jesus came out from the temple where he had been, where this had taken, just the previous stuff had taken place. And he was going away when his disciples came to him to point out the temple buildings to him because he said, your house will be left desolate. So, you know, now, now the disciples are intrigued. They're interested. When's this all going to happen? Mm -hmm. And what, what, what's the scope of it? And they said, he said to them, do you not see all these things? Truly, I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. And that's what happened in 70 AD. So this is the continuation of the discussion in, in Matthew 23, 37. This is the, a little bit more detail about the destruction of the temple. And then verse three, and if you have been to uh, the Israel, you've been to the temple, you know that the temple abuts a graveyard on the Temple Mount, abuts a graveyard, and then the graveyard abuts the Mount of Olives. Mm -hmm. So went from the temple to the Mount of Olives, probably 12-minute walk, okay? The mm -hmm. graveyards, I do not think, were there at that point, so he ah. could have cut right through. So as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, and you know, I would have been the first one up there asking, mm -hmm. So tell us, when will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? In other words, you know, we understand, you know, Baruch Haba, Hashem Adonai, the temple's going to be destroyed. So what's the sign? You know, how do we know it's going to come? How do we tell our friends? How do we warn people? Yeah. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus said to them, see to it that no one misleads you. So here's the, the first of the details of of the Olivet Discourse, which you'll find in Luke 21 and Mark 13. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, the Messiah, and will mislead many. False messiahs. There have been many in Jewish history, by the way. And mm -hmm. uh, it looks like there'll be many to come. Oh, yes. But, but there have been many in Jewish history. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. Okay? Mm -hmm. Interesting. See to that that you're not frightened. He's talking to disciples who believe in him. For those things must take place, but that's not yet the end. Mm. So war is going to be with us a long time. For nation will rise against nation. Think that's possible these days? Yeah. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there'll be famines and earthquakes. Okay, so certainly happening today, but we We're will there, see it huh? happening more. But all these things, and here's the key, mm -hmm. all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. And that's how you understand 
the Olivet Discourse. Oh, boy. So even though all these things have been happening in one stage or another, these are the beginnings of birth pangs. So uh, not that I'm an expert on uh, giving birth, although I've I've watched two of them, (laughs) okay? Yeah. And I have two daughters. And so I've watched two of them. And there's no doubt that birth pangs are birth pangs. You know, they come and then they come and then they come more and more and more and more and more until it happens. So Jesus is speaking about the intensification of these end time signs Mm -hmm. that will happen prior to his coming. That's what's happening. And so you might say, well, there've always been famines. True. And maybe we have more famines now. Well, we didn't used to count famines. Yeah. That's true too. So how do we actually know all this? Well, a lot of brilliant people have figured out ways to know all this. I'm not brilliant, so I don't know. But I do know it'll happen. I, I know it'll happen. Yeah. Probably you'll know it when it happens. Then they'll deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations because of my name. That's the one I, I, mm. I, I least like. Yeah. Uh, but there'll be a growing hatred between the darkness of this world and the light of the Messiah and those who carry that light. At that time, many will fall away from the pressure mm-hmm. and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Again, I think that these are still uh, intensifying. Mm-hmm. And because lawlessness is increased, some people's love will go cold. So mm-hmm. qualitatively, life on earth will become less and less loving, more and more cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. So hang in there. Mm-hmm. Don't give up. It's not a warning. It's more of an encouragement. Yeah. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Well, you know, (laughs) the interesting thing is, of course, now with uh, the internet Mm -hmm. and everything else, this this has now taken on a whole new meaning because um, with modern media, I mean, this could happen uh, pretty much overnight. Yes. And, you know, it, it, it may not mean that every last person on earth has heard it, but... Uh, the majority will be able to hear it. This is why there's a great push for Bible translation mm-hmm. and uh, and so on. And so, verse 15, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, let those who are in Judea flee, must flee to the mountains mm-hmm. and uh, get out of Dodge, get out of town, because Jerusalem's going to become the center of uh, judgment. And we see that in the book of Revelation too. So what is this abomination of desolation? Yeah, the abomination of desolation is in Daniel chapter 9. And we also read about it in the letter to the Thessalonians. But if I can read in Daniel chapter 9, then you will see what I mean. So Daniel chapter 9. Uh, the abomination of desolation happens, uh, I, I believe, based upon uh, other portions of Scripture. It happ- happens at the midpoint mm-hmm. in the seven-year tribulation. I think it's after three and a half years. Temples rebuilt, mm-hmm. and the Antichrist reveals himself to be, uh, or the prophet of the Antichrist reveals the Antichrist to be the true Messiah. At that point, the covenant with Israel is broken. And all hell breaks loose, literally. But uh, we read in Daniel chapter 9, 
beginning at verse uh, 24. Uh, and here's where you, you really get it. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people in your holy city to finish the transgression, that's one, to make an end of sin, that's two, to make atonement for iniquity, that's three, to bring in everlasting righteousness, four, to seal up vision and prophecy, that's five, and to anoint the most holy place, that's six. Mm -hmm. So those six, six things uh, must happen um, in at the end of the 70 weeks. There's no word for weeks in Hebrew. It's the word shiva, which means sevens. And so really what we're talking about here is 77s or 490 years. Mm -hmm. And so just keep that in mind. So you're to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore, rebuild Jerusalem, that was the decree issued by Artaxerxes probably in 444 BC. Okay? So you're to know and discern from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem Ezra, Nehemiah, etc. Until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Seven and two, 69, multiply it by seven. And uh, so instead of 490 years, you have 483 years. Mm. And so the Bible's being pretty specific about the date. When, and at that date, Messiah will be cut off. And you can go through a lot of... Uh, uh, figuring out what the days are. Uh, remember, you have lunar years, 60, 360-day yes. years as opposed to 365. When you figure all, all this out, you can read this in Robert Anderson's book, A British Attorney Wrote the Coming Prince. And uh, you can, I think that's the name of the book. You can see this. You can get the numbers in a lot of different places. Yeah. But the, the, the 483 comes up to somewhere around the the time that Jesus died. Some will say, argue it comes specifically at that time. Some will work work the years a little bit. And of course, I can't, I can't do that now. I don't have my charts. <laughs> radio is terrible. I have a face for radio, but but I don't. <laughs> but, but I can't. I can't. I can't do my charts. Uh, but take my word for it. You, you can see it's close enough. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So the Messiah will be cut off after four hundred and uh, 83 years and have nothing. And the people, the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And of course, uh, uh, that did, did happen um, after uh, the death of Jesus. And uh, we go on. And its end will come of the flood, even to the end. There'll be wars, desolations determined. And he'll make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, Seven years. Remember, this is the referring now to that last week, that missing last week. Mm. That's what we're focusing on now. So you have to separate the 483rd uh, year, which is when Messiah will be cut off and die, from that seventh week. That seventh week picks up, it seems, later on, historically, outside of Daniel 10 and 11, where we get pretty specific about things. Mm -hmm. And in that seventh week, that seven-year period, he... Uh, will make a covenant, firm covenant with the many for one week, but in the middle of the week he will not. He will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of finally abominations. Mm -hmm. There it is. Will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction. One that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So what you have is the death of the Messiah, and then the destruction of Jerusalem, 
And then somewhere at a later date, later than today, this is the end of the end, there will be a time of of deep, dark desolation. And that will be the great tribulation period of the last seven years. It'll be divided into two parts, three and a half years and another three and a half years. And there will be a covenant that the Antichrist makes with the world and with Israel. And that covenant will last for three and a half years. He'll break the covenant. All hell will break loose in the last three and a half years. And you can read about that in the bowls and trumpet judgments in the book of Revelation. And you'll see what happens there. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's called the abomination of desolation. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I hope that the message is clear. We're getting closer. We're in the end times. We not, may not be in the end of the end, but we might be in the middle of the end. We don't know. Mm-hmm. But what we do know is we need to proclaim the gospel to the whole world, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And we need to make sure that our hearts are prepared for the tough times to come. And, you know, that may not be the most joyful message uh, for us to hear, but I'd rather, I'd rather deal with the implications of truth than uh, romanticize uh, the difficulties of life. And mm-hmm. when faced with those difficulties, crumble. I think that we need strength to endure. Truth helps us to endure. I agree, Mitch. And I feel very encouraged. And this is probably the most encouraging end times message I've heard in a long time. So I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. This was a heavy topic to unpack, but you did it so seamlessly. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate your time and I pray for your safety as you visit Israel and continue to help our staff on site. Thank you. Appreciate it. Really appreciate your prayers. And we remember to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Amen. Amen. With the different beliefs, prophecies, and narratives surrounding this biblical idea, the end times might appear confusing and scary. However, there are benefits to paying attention to God's plan for his creation. His judgment does not negate his goodness or his love for us. On the contrary, God expresses his loving kindness through his patience and withholding wrath until all the nations have a chance to repent and receive eternal life in the Messiah. He, that is Yeshua, laid down his life for us because he so loved the world and longed to save it. Whoever believes in him will be saved. Now, we anticipate the glorious future awaiting us when our victorious King returns and establishes the new Jerusalem on earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. While we see these signs, they are but an encouraging reminder of God's eternal kingdom to come. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Our Hope, featuring Chosen People Ministries President, Dr. Mitch Glazer. This episode was produced by Nicole Vaca, 
written by Grace Sui, and edited by John Bautista. This episode was also created thanks to Fernando Mercado, Kyron Bautista, Rachel Larson, Nathan Scherer, Samantha Rodbell, and Robert Walter. I'm Nicole Vaca. Thank you for listening to this season of Our Hope.